Welcome to JFK and the Enduring Secret. I'm your host, Jeff Crudell. It's 2021, more than 57 years after President Kennedy was assassinated. And even today, we don't know who did it, or even why. What we do know is that our government did not tell us the entire truth at the time of the assassination. And astonishingly, some 57 years later, the government continues to withhold information about the circumstances surrounding President Kennedy's death. Now, rather than think this behavior was entirely nefarious, we should continue to go deeper. There is an important reason for continuing to pursue the true facts around President Kennedy's death and ultimately to understand the complexities that surround the assassination. But wait a minute. It's 2021 and we are in the midst of a divisive political environment in this country. To top it off, we are in the middle of a COVID crisis. So why revisit the JFK assassination now? Well, here are two good reasons why. First, it's a sad but rather fascinating part of our history, and surprisingly, 57 years have gone by, and the American public is slowly forgetting the story. Slowly forgetting what happened in Dealey Plaza that day in Dallas, Texas, in late November 1963, and the high drama that encompasses the story. Slowly forgetting one of the most pivotal moments in the history of this country. It's a history lesson with fascinating elements worth repeating. It changed everything. It changed the content and the character of a war in Vietnam, and it impacted the civil rights movement in a complex way. A lot of American hopes and dreams were shattered that day, and the heart of the country as a whole was penetrated with the anger of an as yet still unidentified vengeance. One day we might be lucky enough to figure out where it truly came from. The second reason is more germane to the almost surreal political times we are currently experiencing as a nation. You see, the assassination of John Kennedy was followed by a series of actions by our government that, to this day, are unexplainable. Those actions, at the very least, constituted the government's complicity in the cover-up during the aftermath of the assassination. As more courageous Americans stepped forward and slowly more facts became known, it was clear that the government had hidden facts from the American people about what had actually happened. And perhaps even more nefarious was the fact that rogue elements of the government may even have participated in the assassination itself. To this day, it's still not entirely clear what exactly happened and why the cover-up was considered necessary. But that part of the story we will explore more in the coming episodes of this series. So to be clear, it was perhaps the first time in 20th century U.S. history that Americans in large numbers began to question whether their government was telling them the truth about something that was, and this is not an exaggeration, existentially important. As this scandal began to unfold, both scholars and fools all rushed in to fill the void of truth that existed around the circumstance. 
it became a free-for-all of ideas and theories, high fiction and true fact, equally sharing the headlines, all converging to form a cacophony of communication. Some of the characters involved were participating with altruistic aims of finding the real truth, and eventually many more entered the mix just to capitalize on the economics of sensationalism that always comes with these morbid and sensational circumstances. This dizzying sea of research, ideas, and theories made it practically impossible to discern the truth from the fiction. It was truly the first time that fake news had been so widely disseminated by so many on such an important matter of state and where the truth, because of the nature of the matter, was so important. No, I correct myself, so essential to maintaining the faith in our democracy. So now, does the story sound familiar? Is it hitting close to home in 2021? Yes, the lessons of history in the form of these kinds of events always seem to repeat themselves. So let's turn the clock back for a moment. Back in 1963, it was almost inconceivable that the government might be lying, or at least withholding important information about the JFK assassination. It's easy to say, are you kidding me? This was one of the most incredible events of the 20th century. How could the government not be transparent about what was happening, what did happen, what they knew, and when they knew it? That's part of what we are going to explore in the episodes to come. The results of the U.S. government's initial inquiry are contained in the Warren Commission Report, or more formally, the Report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy. President Kennedy died on Friday, November 22, 1963, from gunshot wounds. It was a most gruesome crime. He was shot at least twice, with at least one bullet piercing his skull and blowing a portion of his head right off. Governor John Conley from Texas was riding in the front seat of that same limousine, and he was hit by the gunfire as well, but survived the attack. The shooting and murder occurred in plain sight in the middle of Dealey Plaza in downtown Dallas, Texas. There was never a definite eyewitness that could identify Lee Harvey Oswald as the gunman. While the killer or killers didn't plan this, the moment was caught on film, the Zapruder film, eventually for the entire world to see the gruesome act and relive it over and over. Our country was at the height of the Cold War, and the assassination of the president incited a flurry of suspicion and national concern. So there is nothing surprising about the fact that our government took swift steps to stabilize the nation and to assure the American people that the assassination wasn't part of a larger plot against the United States by someone trying to overthrow the existing government. And think about what I just said. The narrative was set by our government before the investigation even got underway. The government decided from the very moment that this tragedy began to unfold that whatever the facts were surrounding the assassination, they were going to be subordinated where they needed to be in order to fit the narrative that the government had landed upon for delivery to the American people. And what was that narrative? Well, it was a pretty simple one, actually. It was this. 
A lone gunman had fired the shots that killed President Kennedy, that there was absolutely no conspiracy involved, and, as a result, there certainly was no foreign nation or domestic or foreign group that took action to overthrow the government, or even just to conspire to kill President Kennedy for whatever reason. It was just a single gunman, a lone man, a deranged individual who had committed this treacherous act. As terrible as it was, the nation could be reassured that there were no other nefarious forces at work and that Americans could get on with their business and the process of healing after such a heart-wrenching and tragic event. This narrative was likely contrived with good reason and good intention by our government. Keeping a national tragedy from triggering a nuclear showdown justifies a good narrative. We'll talk about that later in another episode. Well, that is what the nation's leaders believed at the time. Unfortunately, it was only a short while before this lie would be exposed and would collide with the truth. That collision ultimately resulted in the beginning of an era that ushered in massive erosion in the public's confidence of our basic institutions of government. The Warren Commission essentially rubber-stamped the idea of a single gunman and no conspiracy. They effectively rubber-stamped a foundational lie about the assassination in order to support their desired narrative. They lied for what they felt was a noble cause. For the good of the nation, it was a miscalculation of epic proportion. Whatever peace and well-being that was generated by this narrative, it was paid for ten times over in the loss of confidence in our basic governmental institutions. It doesn't mean that the Warren Commission report was a complete fabrication. There are thousands of facts within the Warren Commission report, and most of them are true, but not all of them. What is missing from the report is perhaps more troublesome than what is right in it or what is wrong in it. And certainly all of these shortcomings affected the fundamental conclusions of the report. However you look at it, the report remains as the most exhaustive and authoritative record of what happened. If Americans at the time were measuring credibility by the pound, 26 very thick leather-bound volumes bought a lot of it. But that still doesn't erase the lie that the Warren Commission report told in its final form. Placed in its historical context, the enormity of this deception cannot be overestimated. It was a deception perpetrated by our government in plain sight. I have no doubt that many members of the Warren Commission had doubts themselves, but were, as a group, finally convinced to stay in tight formation and support the narrative for the reasons I mentioned earlier. Even when the facts buried in the bowels of the 26 volumes said otherwise. I guess they counted on the idea that no American would critically read all that they published. It took a while, but once the right people burned the midnight oil and began to critically analyze the Warren report, the story inside the report began to crumble. What the government ultimately underestimated was the veracity of the American people and their appetite for the truth. What they also misunderstood was that America was on the eve of a communication revolution. There was no internet yet. But things were beginning to change rapidly already in 1963, 
with television and live feed reporting beginning to enter the mainstream. Lee Harvey Oswald, the man arrested for killing Officer Tippett and suspected to be the killer of JFK, was killed by Jack Ruby in the basement of the Dallas Police Department on a Sunday morning as they ushered Oswald to the armored car that was to take him to the county jail. The entire experience was captured on live television in one of the most surreal moments in TV history. The marvel of electronics was beginning to become part of the American genre. Live cameras were beginning to capture events with excruciating perfection and reduce the fiction that occurs when the recollection of events is different from one person to the next. The simple truth is that facts were getting harder to suppress as more and more events and circumstances were subject to irrefutable observation and reporting. It was only 30 years before when men were often shot in broad daylight in some jurisdictions across the country and their perpetrators rarely convicted. Oh, what a difference a few cell phones with cameras would have made or a few cameras mounted on the corner of a street sign. To the older generation of leaders at that time, this subtle but powerful transition was a cultural landmine for the approach they took related to the Warren Report. The larger point of all of this is that it's a slippery slope to withhold the truth or to outright lie to the American public. The JFK assassination was the first major breach, but within 10 years of JFK's assassination, the American people would experience all of the horrors of Vietnam and the lies that came with it. The entire history of Vietnam and how this country covered up its progressive involvement in Indochina was revealed in the Pentagon Papers, and the government fought hard to keep those secrets from the public. Our Constitution and some strong men and women made sure it saw the light of day. This was really only the beginning of the age of the loss of political innocence for the American people. After Vietnam and the Pentagon Papers, then came the shocking discovery of the Watergate break-ins and the related events that led to the eventual resignation of Richard Nixon. Then we have the Iran-Contra scandal, where the United States effectively participated in the importation of illegal drugs to our country in order to fund an unauthorized participation in the war between the Contras and the Sandinista government in Nicaragua. All done for the so-called greater good of the nation. Imagine that the drug problem we have lived with in this country, and particularly drugs like crack cocaine, that literally turned the minority population upside down in some cities such as Los Angeles, were driven by explicit illegal drug importation directly engaged in by our federal government. These are horrible facts, and they were sheltered in lies by the government until they were finally exposed. And then, of course, came 9-11, which then led to questions about Iraq and the weapons of mass destruction. All of these examples of major lies built around the belief by leaders that they were being perpetrated in support of a noble cause, thus justifying deception of the American people. What a repetitive theme. The cumulative effect of these monumental errors in judgment has resulted in a priceless destruction of faith in government. No longer as a nation would we continue to believe that the government was always telling us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help them God. 
So you can see where I'm taking this and why I am taking us all the way back in history to this period of JFK. It's the moment of seminal erosion in the confidence of our government and its leaders. Sadly, it was preventable. It was architected by a handful of powerful men in government at the time. While it's sorrowful what has happened, happily all is not lost, because institutions are more critical than the mere mortals who intermittently control them in their fiduciary capacity. Depending on your political persuasion, there are shining examples in both parties whose time in office reinforces the importance of this concept. Regardless of these epic and monumental breaches in the public trust, the simple truth is that our government, at times, does need to keep secrets from us. There is no doubt about that. Sometimes it is in the public interest for that to occur. But we and our leaders should make a distinction between, on the one hand, the withholding of facts or information because the harm to the public outweighs the benefits of disclosure. And on the other hand, the withholding of information because the decisions are controversial or immoral. The ability to discern between these two states is not easy, but our leaders must do it for the sake of our nation and for the sake of democracy itself. It's a difficult thing to govern nations, and leaders oftentimes find themselves impaled on the horns of a dilemma, trying to answer this very question. Seeking the truth so that the right decision can be made, a decision that is best for a nation and its peoples. Like I said, it's not easy, but one thing is for sure. There is no substitute for telling the truth and being transparent. Truth and transparency are true north in the sea of darkness that often comes with governing. So this series that you are about to listen to is about the JFK assassination. It's possible only because of the courage and good work of men and women who refused to accept the narrative that our government provided about the most intimate and violating act that this nation has experienced since the assassination of William McKinley around the turn of the century, and more similar in cultural impact to the loss of Lincoln. Some of these men and women pursued the truth about the assassination at great personal peril. You'll hear some of those stories in the episodes to come. You may be curious about why I'm doing this show personally. Well, I was about two and a half years old in November 1963, so I wasn't old enough to truly experience or understand the trauma of that moment, although members of my family were. My brothers were older, and my mom and dad sure did remember it. However, after the assassination took place and the Warren Commission report was issued, the 60s ushered in a period of reflection and study around the event. That period, metaphorically speaking, uncovered the lie that was buried in a shallow grave just below the truth and nearby to the crime itself. I'll explain what I'm talking about in a later episode. You can imagine the incredible pause that occurred at the moment of consciousness when Americans during that time began to understand the gravity of what had been uncovered. More importantly, they began to understand that a lie, 
indistinguishable from the truth is the most dangerous threat to democracy. Isn't this sounding familiar again for those of us listening to current events? My generation was not used to detecting or defending against deception. It was a transition that was sadly required and a metamorphosis that sadly has occurred out of necessity. I'm approaching 60 now, and I am in the winter season of life, or maybe, if I'm lucky, just late fall. Americans living in my time have learned that the truth can be elusive, and it can also be a complicated thing, much more complicated than we care to admit sometimes. It takes motivation to seek it, and it's hard to find it. I hope that listening to this podcast inspires more of that motivation and more of that grit to find the truth. So in terms of this podcast, when we go back to 2021, when we go back to the future, what I am really trying to offer is an opportunity to study a little bit of history and use it to better ourselves and our government of the present and of the future. Part of the simple wisdom that has come from studying the JFK assassination can make us all better and more sophisticated civic participants in today's environment. So stick with us for each of the upcoming episodes of JFK, The Enduring Secret, as we take you through the fascinating history that is the JFK assassination. In this case, fact is truly stranger and more interesting than fiction. Listen to this podcast series, and I am sure you will agree. This is Jeff Crudell, and I hope you have enjoyed the prologue episode of JFK, The Enduring Secret.